0: Yeah, I just love to know, because especially with people like yourself who've been teaching for so long, sometimes uh, it's just fun to reminisce about like that first experience or what brought you to teaching. Um, I find, Yeah, I find a lot of people are brought to teaching because through the, especially the Chicago improvisers, because it's a way to make some extra money.
1: You know, here's what happened with me. Um, when we started out, when I started out back in the '80s, and I've shared this story before, nobody wanted to be a teacher. Everybody wanted to get hired in Second City, and then we were going to we were all going to be hired by Saturday Night Live. And if you said I wanted to be a teacher or, or, or a director, people thought, "Oh my God, you've given up on your your dream." And so I really got into it because it you know it was the only way. In improv, that and playing the piano, that you you could you could get paid for it, and so that's that that was the start of it. But in terms of like, oh, when did I realize I started to love it? It probably wasn't until the last couple of years, and I really attribute my wife Lauren for you know um, I'd, I'd complain, I'd be like, oh whatever, teaching. I'm always going to be a teacher, and she's like, you know what? You love it. You just you're just not in touch with how much you love it. And I would say in the last couple of years, I've really, really fallen in love with it. And I I said this in a blog and I've said this in other interviews. I love teaching more than I love improvising. I think to me, uh, well, one is, and I've been improvising for, you know, over uh, 35, close to 35 years. I still put way too much pressure on myself when I improvise. So I'm not as enjoying it as much as I'd like to. The thing that I love about teaching is I feel so comfortable teaching. Like I don't put any pressure on myself. That's not to say I don't leave a class feeling shame sometimes that I I could have done something differently. For the most part, I feel really, really comfortable in teaching.
0: Do you, um, because that's, so, because that happens to me. So um, that whole, like, you put too much pressure to perform. I think that happens to a lot of us. But then I will catch myself sometimes putting too much pressure on myself as a teacher. And some of the, as, you know, just from talking to a lot of people, lots of people keep saying, like, as a teacher, you can fuck up. And uh, I think sometimes I put too much weight on it, like, no, I can't fuck up, I'm the teacher in the room. Um, but that seems to also have started to go away as I've been teaching more and more. Do you think Do you do you think you ever had that or do you think that was just, you just always? Oh my God, I, I
1: had it, yes, I had it. And it still flares up to me. And I think for me, it's like, to s- s- let go of like, I'm the expert in the room and say, and basically, this is my experience. And what I do in my classes, my approach is is, is a little different. Uh, if, if someone has a question, I will I will turn it over to the class. What What do you guys think? And we will then turn it into a discussion. I certainly will put in my two cents, but there's a lot of knowledge in 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 in, in the classroom, you know. And I I'm a really big believer is, you know, the answer is in the room. It doesn't necessarily have to come from the teacher. And I can't tell you how many times one, either a student has been able to articulate something far better than I could, or a student has said something which inspires me to say something that I wouldn't have said had I been the first one to speak.
0: Yeah. I've, I've had those moments too, where something will come out of my mouth because of that. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was in me. <laughs> Um, so as, how did you develop? So like, as we fast forward, did you let up teaching at all three or were you mostly at annoyance? Okay.
1: Yeah, no, I started, I was 27 years old and I, I, and I was at the annoyance theater, which was just, was such a great time for me, uh, because I was not only doing the annoyance theater, I was also doing a, a long form group called Jazz Freddy. And, uh, again, it was like, uh, I, I don't know how I was offered the job of, of teaching, but again, it was like, okay, here's some money. I don't really want to do a day job. So I, st- I, st- I started at it, it the annoyance. And then um, from there, I took a, a pretty big break, I think, until I uh, Francis Collier uh, said, why don't you come over to Second City and teach? And so, and so very quickly when I got to Second City, I was teaching three, pretty much three classes. I I, want to say sometimes four classes. I may, I may not be accurate at that. And then, um, I was, I I had coached at the IO. And then, uh, after that, I was like, I'm, I'm going, I decided to go on my own and teach because I was working in a real estate job. And I thought, you know, um, you know, let's just try it. And I remember taking an—I uh, uh, think I took an ad out, and it used to be a, a newspaper called Performing. It was an actors' paper here, and the class filled up really quickly. And that was the first time I left that—that t- that I was doing a temp job in a real estate office, and I started to teach on my own. And then I went back to I.O. and taught, and then I went to Second City again and taught, and finally for the last. I don't know eight or nine years I think i've I've been on my own teaching
0: that first class when you went on your own, how much do you think your philosophy has changed between then and now toward teaching, not necessarily toward improv but toward teaching yeah
1: oh towards teaching oh I think it's I think it's changed it's evolved tremendously i think um one thing is, and I just wrote a blog on this was I wanted to be everybody's favorite teacher. I wanted to be the ones that ha- that that they were going to get a breakthrough. They were going to get it in my class. They were going to get improvisation. Um, I've when I let that go, that's that's that that really opens me up, but it also op- takes the pressure off the student as well. Um, also I worked really hard, too hard in the, in in um, when I first started, if I was doing an emotional exercise and I wanted them to be happy or be angry or whatever, I would literally get up out of my chair and you know I was like a like a bad football or basketball college coach. That was exhausting, you know. Um, I think I also had I had to be the expert. I had all the answers, and I think in the last probably five or six years, that's really changed.
0: Okay. Uh, so that, that, so that sort of where you are now with that whole, like art of slow improv and, and that, was that something that was always part of your style?
1: Yeah, I really, I, I really like that. You know, I had studied at the IO or improv Olympic with Del Close and he, you know, he was a huge believer in slow comedy and a big believer in, um, truth and comedy. And, and I always the two things that I always gravitated towards uh, w- uh, when I was working there was one, this whole concept of like, you can get on stage and just t- t- tell a story from your life without embellishing it and get a laugh. And that was, you know, one aspect of truth and comedy that I really liked. I really liked the whole honesty, telling the truth. Um, I, I, I gravitated towards that. And I also, I don't know if it's because I was just, um, not as quick or I just liked, I always liked slow relationship based scenes, um, which, you know, I, I, the truth in comedy and the slowness to me was always like, okay, can we create reality? Can we create something that you'd seen a movie, a really good movie or a really good play?
0: Do you think, um that is ever because I know sometimes uh, because I have a tendency to play a little faster and a little harder. um, And sometimes I will find myself and and I'll I'll have to check myself, like giving a note to a student because it's coming from a place of how I play, but that's not who they are. And so I have to like readjust that and be like, no, I'm not trying to make them me. I'm trying to bring about the best thing for them.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, to, you know the other thing about in terms of evolving, you know, as a teacher, you know, when I first started, you know, teaching, you know, the 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 Aristotle comedy classes, uh, and and probably even I'm going to say even before that, I had this is my agenda, this is the style of improv I'd like you to do, and um, I st- I st- I started to let go of that, and the big thing for me to let go of that was starting to improvise along with the student, meaning I was meeting the student where they were at. And if they weren't getting what I was offering, um, to just back off that. Um, and I think that's been a huge um, help in my teaching and hopefully a huge help to my students.
0: When you went to build, when you well, I mean, you still build curriculums, because essentially you have the slow comedy, but also since you will travel to places, um, do you essentially say to people now, like, here's a variety of classes that I can choose?
1: Well, when I when I go to when I go out of town, I usually offer like uh, the uh, I, I offer an artist low comedy class. I, I offer uh, a long form or a diagnostic. I I, I think uh, there's a, a, a going deeper in your scene work, something like that. I usually offer something like that. Now, the thing that I'm I have a lot of gratitude for is because of the podcast improvner. you know, we've done over 230 episodes. People know who I am. People know my philosophy. People know uh, what, I, you know, I don't have to explain who I am. So there, there's a much better buy into it. Um, also, you know, them, you know, the blog helps as well.
0: Do you have an approach in mind? Do you look at the big picture? Do you take a variety of exercises and like to stack them?
1: Well, it all depends. Like if, if, for instance, like here in Chicago, I have three levels of artist low comedy. And the first level, basically how I look at it is build the ensemble, build the support and trust, and then really have people just learning how to, 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 to come up with the dialogue, uh, and, and not worry about if it's funny or not, just get the, get the, um, the, the words out of their mouth, you know? Cause a lot of times people put so much pressure on being funny or witty or finding the game that they're just like, Oh, you know, I, I can't, they're paralyzed. So I just want to get them in the flow. Then the second level, I usually, is more towards two-person scenes. So let's talk about the game. Let's talk about bringing some emotions to the scene. Let's, you know, um, let's talk about how we use the environment. So I'll start to, 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 to do that, you know, to, to have them focus on that. And then the third uh, level, usually it, it is, it's the performance level. So we're going we're gonna to continue working on our scene work. Now, are we going to do group, you know, we'll introduce group scenes, maybe we'll maybe have more two person scenes, and what form is going to suit that particular group. And what's so interesting about, and I'm, I'm so, I'm just, I'm so excited about this is like, each term, you know, each class, each level is different, you know, because I'm dealing with, you know, a different bunch of people, you know, even though it's, you don't know what to expect like I just did a a performance level and we did this form which I've done before where it's Four people sitting in a car going, you know, and throw, you know, we get a suggestion on an event and we break it down into three beats. Um, I've done other classes where it's been more of a montage and there's tag outs and, you know, there's callbacks and stuff like that. So I love it because I continue to improvise with what, you know, what's what's going to best serve um, my students.
0: Do you uh, do most of, when you do the art of comedy in Chicago? Are, are most of the students coming in with already some background?
1: Some are coming. It, it's it's a, it's it's such a, a wide range. There are people that have come back. Come. There are people that have studied with me, and a couple of years later they want to come back. There's people that have been through the, the, the institutions. Uh, maybe they're beat up. Maybe they're 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 they're. they're you know, they've taken a couple of years off and they want to be re-inspired about improv, they come back. There may be, I get a fair amount of actors and I get a fair amount of people that are older uh, and and are coming to improv later in life. And then I also get a
0: fair amount of people that uh, are, are new. I ask that because the, the level one with the building of support and trust and ensemble, I feel like you probably have a lot of heavy lifting as a teacher in that class because... Because it's not a typical level one, if you will, um, you're, and now you're working on all this ensemble and support. And then does your level one go with into level two together or, or do, or do they sometimes mix with other like people coming from a different level one to level two?
1: Um, I, I usually do. It's usually, um. It's usually like level one into level two until into, into level three. Now, you know, in, in any training center, you know, uh, there's always some attrition. So a lot, sometimes we'll pick up a couple people uh, who have experience, who have worked with me before uh, I, 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 on, on the way to level three.
0: Because I think it's really important for, especially younger teachers who are listening, like, do you have something that you find that works to really help? Build a class to get to the level of letting go of some of their baggage, so that they can truly support and be an ensemble and work and move forward.
1: Yes, yes. So I I do a game that um, I first was introduced to one is a wonderful teacher that I got to work with, Liz Allen, and it was it's called the Vulnerable Circle, and that's. Usually, if I'm teaching a workshop, if I'm out of town or I'm teaching uh, the first night of probably level one and level two, um, I will I will I will introduce this game. And that is uh, everyone is in a circle and there's one person who is in the middle and that person then faces somebody who is is standing. And the, on the, you know, in the outside of the circle. So, uh, you know, if you and I do it, you're good and I'm standing inside the circle, you will face me. And then, you, and I will ask, um, I'm not in the circle. I'm confusing this, but I'm, uh, I'm, um, I'm sitting off to the side and I will ask the student as the teacher, I'm the role of the teacher. And then I will ask an honest question. Um, I usually start very simple, you know, what is your favorite color, uh, biggest accomplishment. So they'll, they'll keep moving down. So it'll be, you know, what is your favorite accomplishment next? They'll go to the next person in the circle. Then I'll say um, favorite childhood memory. Uh, they'll answer it. Then next, uh, you're a good friend because next. You're a bad friend because you loved your parents because next. Uh, you hated your parents because Next. Now, I'll start to warm them up and I'll see where they are in terms of answering the question. And then I will ask them three things they don't want us to know about them. And um, a a lot of times um, I will get people, you know, sometimes people will, um, you know, get emotional, you know, the the, the sadness will come up um, and it's really, um, they're, they're really starting to be vulnerable as a group and then something that I've incorporated is this this game's evolved I'll have everybody come together in the circle if they want to they can put their arms around each other and uh, then I say to them is there something that you'd like to reveal that, that might have been you know that you didn't get a chance to or is there something that you would like to relate to that somebody said like you know you know my parents were divorced yeah well my parents were divorced to whatever whatever that is that they'd want to say and then I wait to, for people to reveal their stuff we're not here to fix people's problems and then um I just have everybody thank each other and people find that that's really a great way of uh building uh, ensemble very quickly
0: let's so with the with your podcast because it's like you said you have over 200 over 200 episodes but you um you've been very honest in those and you've been very forthcoming and same thing with your blog you talk a lot from personal places so do you do you find that helps as a teacher or uh because like you were saying people already know you so they kind of know what to expect maybe um when you walk into a workshop or do you find that you then also maybe feel like you have to give them the jimmy corinne experience
1: well i uh i think that um Jimmy Corain as a writer and Jimmy Corain as a podcaster is slightly different. It's a slightly different role than Jimmy Corain as a teacher. Um, I think anything uh, that makes you, you know, more empathetic and more compassionate to your students really helps. And I, you know, another kind of philosophy of mine is like, okay, what can I learn from what what am I gonna learn from this class, and that doesn't necessarily mean what am I gonna learn improvisationally? it may learn it may be what am I gonna learn about myself? um you know, am I taking you know one thing that comes up and, and a lot in my classes is um I really encourage my students to speak their process, like where they are, uh, you know, do you feel that you're in your head? do you feel? you know, uh, you just do this exercise and you feel a lot of shame about it. And so I'll encourage people to, 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 to speak that in the moment. um, So we can either discuss it or come up with an exercise to deal with it. And one thing that I do as a teacher, I think is I, I will, I will take on their emotions, you know? So that's something that I need to work on. You know, another thing that has nothing to do with improv, but it has everything to do with improv is i'm not that great with the time boundaries you know so i always start on time class on time but i'll go 15 20 minutes over and that's not good for me and it's really not good for the class so okay this next term how can i work on that um so i'm always looking for like things that i can work on myself through the class
0: do you use evaluations at all from your students to help you with that do you do student evaluations um, I,
1: I, I do sometimes, and I, I'm doing it less, I'll say to them in the end of the class, I used to send out something formal, or I'll say, hey, do you have any feedback about the class or the workshop? Um, right now, for whatever reason, I'm just, um, you know, uh, I think it was, you know, my wife, Lauren, she's like, oh, you're just doing that to feel shame. So I've kind of taken a little break from that.
0: So you were trying, so when she says that, is that because you were looking, you were trying you were trying to get feedback that you weren't doing it right to to feed something inside. Yes,
1: exactly. It's it's but yeah, it's it's a buzzkill. You know, I I I feel like eighty percent of the time I feel great about my teaching, and then you know I'm always looking for the buzzkill. You know,
0: um, the taking on their emotions. I think that's also a big thing that teachers may not be. Um, aware of that that might happen. Um, and like you said, you're continually working on it. Have you found anything to be helpful for that?
1: Well, I, I just want to say the, the the concept was really introduced to me. I was teaching at second city and, um, Ed Garza, who's a wonderful teacher there. Uh, we would have at the end of, I think it was level D we would have performances. And I remember we would, um, you know, towards the day of the performance, which was just like 20 minutes of short form games, I would get all this anxiety and all this fear. And I remember seeing Ed in the hall and saying, Ed, you know, like, you know, what what is this? I'm feeling more nervous than they are. And he said, well, you're taking on their emotions. You're taking on their anxiety. So I think that's a really simple example of how we do it. And how I found it to be really helpful for me and to get help with it is I will take it to I'm in group therapy twice a week, so I'll take it to my therapist and I'll say, hey, this came up, How, you know I was triggered by this in class, uh, or I'm taking on these emotions, what, 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 what do you suggest I, I need to do?
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, I just think it's really important for people to be aware that that, that can happen, especially um, my experience has been that improvisers can also be hyper-empathetic. And so that can really, um, so you can really, I, and for myself personally, um, I, I, wish I knew where this article came from, but I read somewhere that people who, um, who have trauma or, or who are longtime caregivers, uh, develop a sense of like hyper empathy. And in my situation, I, like I said, I have a, one of my kids has this rare disease. And so as a result, I've been both caretaker and parent, and I found I've become hyper empathetic. So, when something starts to go bad, I start like I start to feel everybody's emotions and I have to really um, just be aware of it, uh, kind of go through it and then have my own way of decompressing, you know. And that's typically just being in a quieter spot and away from people or relaxing music or stupid YouTube videos.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, too, um, you to when you go into a classroom, I, I've noticed when I go into teaching, and and I'm, I, I need to remember this for myself is to be aware of like what where you are emotionally. Like I remember one time I just I was having a really sad day or whatever, and remember I had to go in and teach, and it was like I'm seeing all these sad scenes. Well, that's no accident, you know. Like they're they're picking up something from me, so I think it's it's important for the teacher to realize okay. This is just as just as it's important for the teacher to realize, OK, what kind of energy are they coming in with? Are they tired? Are they, you know, are, are they upset? You know, what's going on in the world? What's going on in the city of Chicago? They, they may be coming in w- with some sort of emotion. I think it's important for the teacher to be aware of what emotion they're bringing in as well.
0: I've um, I've started. So like if my anxiety is really high, I we do like a stretch and share at the beginning of my classes. And I will just say out loud, like, I just want to put it out there. My anxiety has been high today and I'm aware of it and I'm going to manage it and we're going to have a great class. Because I find if I don't share that sometimes, they will feed off of my own anxiety. And I think, you know,
1: I um, I just had, a, and, and I wrote about this in my most recent blog, I a couple weeks ago, I was teaching a class and everybody had come in in a, you know, just kind of down and they didn't feel, you know, maybe they had to travel and traffic was really bad or they had a shitty day at work or I don't know, whatever had gone on on the weekend for them. And, and we were, they were walking around. I'm like, you know what, just voice it. Let's just put a voice to it. And that, that just like you said, you know, say admitting like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety seems to really release it. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just the same when you're on stage and you don't know what's going on, and say, "Hey, I don't know what's going on," right? Like, <laughs> it, just, it just works out that way. Uh, so, you were talking about um, how your classes sometimes run too long. Do you, uh, besides that, do you feel like you have a typical classroom setup where in uh, the improv setup where like you come in, you do your warm ups, and you do your exercises, and move to scene work, and then your wrap up, or are you finding uh, other ways to make class work for you,
1: um, like I said, like I'll have, um, you know, I know I'm gonna war- I'm gonna warm them up because I really believe warm ups are are really essential, and, and and I got that from, you know, uh, a great improv teacher that I think in a lot of ways has kind of been lost is a guy named Martin Demont. I don't know if other people have brought his name up before.
0: Uh, only one other person on the podcast so far. Okay. So
1: Martin was uh, here in Chicago and I got to study with him at Columbia College. And he was the one who really uh, instilled in me that like warm-up games are really important. And I use them as, as a diagnostic, just like, you know, I mentioned about, you know, figuring out what energy the class is bringing in. Are they tired? Are they really excited, you know, and very talkative? So then I can adjust how I teach. And then I usually get into, um, you know, I I like to feed, I like to kind of read their energy and then it'll be something scenic, you know. Uh, Again, I'm improvising based on what they're bringing in. And then I usually, uh, like I said, go long and then usually have maybe five or ten minutes of discussion at the end. I don't like to talk that much during the class and I've become more disciplined in that um, because I really think that. The more they do it, the more they're going to learn.
0: Will you side coach more then? Um,
1: I've I've always side coached. Yeah, I will. I will side coach. Uh, yeah, so they'll hear me side coaching, but uh, I won't stop the class and unless it's something that you know someone's been triggered or something like that, and go into a long lecture.
0: Right? Do you? Uh, yeah, because I was going to ask. Like, because so, sometimes. Um, some people will stop scenes when they see it's about to go off the rails, and some people will let it go and then have the discussion. Uh, if the scene is really going into territory, that can lead to difficult conversations. So, yeah, where's your style on that?
1: Well, see, to, well, it all depends where the student is. Like, I, you know, um, so if I've thought to myself, okay, this student is – really needs to just get more comfortable just being in a scene and you, and, uh, and um, just talking, even though it might not be the best scene in the world, I'm letting them go a little longer because I want them to build their confidence in use, using dialogue. So they're not, I want to take the pressure off them about being funny or trying to find the game or anything like that. Um, so that's, I'll do that. If 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 I see a scene going off the rail, um, uh, immediately, you know, because I usually in the first minute, um, sometimes I'll see it. I will go, oh, that was really good. That's great. Now, just as an experiment, or you know, I, I will make them feel. I don't want to make them feel that not that I'm in charge of how they're feeling. I, I I try to do it as less shaming as possible, and just say, hey, why don't we try this, or why don't you switch. You know, if there are two people sitting, I'd like this person to, I want you to sit in that person's chair and this person to sit in this person's chair just to get them out of their physical
0: path. Right. I, I, a lot of times, uh, I do that too, like two people up. And if I see someone who's always taking stage, right. I'm like, okay, switch sides. You know, like they, they clearly are going to that spot all the time. So let's break up that energy. Um, so I want, to, I want to dig in a little bit, though, with like, the diagnostic class. Well, I have two questions, so, and they're completely not related to each other. But let's, so let's start with this first one then. So because you're meeting the student where they're at, do you then ever have to hold someone back from going forward in the, th- the, the slow comedy classes at all, the three levels of that?
1: Have I, I don't think I've had to hold any, I have had to hold anybody back. Um, I think maybe once or twice I might, I think once or twice I might've said, um, you know, people want to come back, uh, you know what, I I don't think a performance level you've missed, you know, you missed a lot in the first class. Why don't you come and take the second level and then work up to the third level? Um, so that, that's usually, uh, that's usually how I handle it. it. Probably once or twice I've told people, you know, that, you know, maybe you should take this over again
0: have you ever had to ask anyone to leave a class
1: no i haven't
0: so with the diag- so i'm gonna then shift back over so with the di- cause the diagnostics class um always fascinates me because people it's, like it's so it's easier for people to hear what's wrong with them or how they're not doing things right or please fix me you know and so when i ask students you know what is something you think you're really doing well in Um, they have a harder time to express that versus what do you think There's something you're still challenged with? So with the diagnostics class, when you, even though they're there to get that feedback, do you find that like defense mechanisms flare up or do you find that your approach doesn't?
1: No. Um, What I do, and and um, probably a good example of one of my diagnostic tests would be the two-person scene tune-up. So, I offer that several times a year in Chicago, and that's also another thing when I go out of town that I offer and that seems to be far more popular than the long form diagnostic though it's still diagnostic so what I do um first of all um and this is something I got from Martin Demata is you know always start with if you're going to give them a note, always start with a positive and then go to then 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 say what what the what is going to be a negative. Um, So that, that's always, to me, that's, that's really essential to, you know, when you're doing uh, any sort of diagnostic thing. Um, I think also people, um, you know, how you market it is, is it helps, you know, like this is, you know, we're going to work on two person scenes. So they're coming to get feedback. And the other thing I do, especially when I'm on my game and I, I stole this from my therapist and so I'm giving him full credit, Doctor Jeffrey Roth, at Working Sobriety, um, uh, www.workingsobriety.com. I think it might be .org, but he'll say to me in the group, "Will say, do you want do you, do you want my feedback?" And so I've taken that, and that's really important because I, I, they're then authorizing me. So I'm saying, "Do you want my feedback?" And they'll either say, "Yes, I want your feedback," or "No." And a lot of times, I'll they'll, they'll say. They'll get, a, they'll get annoyed with me if they haven't worked with me before. And I'll say, do you want my feedback? And they're like, yeah, of course I want your feedback. That's why I'm paying you, you know?
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, um, Mick does that also. Um I was sitting in a class with McNapier and uh, he watched all of us do a bunch of scenes and then we were going to sit down and he was going to give us some, you know, assessments. And before in and we knew this is what was happening. And before each student got their assessment, he said, is it okay if I give you this note? You know, is it all right if you receive this feedback? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mick is brilliant. Mick, Mick, is, just, Mick is brilliant. And I think, um, the one thing I got from Mick, Mick was a huge, uh, disciple of Martin demott Mick, I think was not only did he, I believe he reinvented improvisation with the Annoyance style of improv, but he was also one of the first people that he didn't talk. I mean, he wanted people up and doing, doing the work. And I, I, I uh, you know, when I was at the annoyance and, and I would sit in on, on, on one of his classes, that's, that's, you know, that's really where I got that, you know, cause Mick was like, get up there, get up there, get up there. And Mick was very, very disciplined in his classroom.
0: Yeah. Cause it can be hard to sometimes not stop a scene and talk for 10 minutes. So to just do a scene, give a quick adjustment or note and keep getting the students up is a, you know, it's a great, that's great when teachers are able to do it. Um, and then like when Will Hines was on just a couple weeks ago And one of the things he said, which I think just ties perfectly to getting people up, is that, you know, he sees a lot of students and they're not good and they're not bad. They just need to do 200 more scenes. (laughs) It's like they need to be just up, up, up. Um, I also will find if I'm watching a lot, a lot of scenes, I'm starting to get saturated too. So I need a little break in my own, like, visual you know what's going on. I need to get up or something. Um I find myself like I try not to sit when we're doing like I try very a lot not to sit in class. Um unless I'm watching them like if we're if I'm teaching a Harold class and they're gonna run a whole herald I'll sit and take my notes. But if we're doing our exercises and whatnot, I try to stand and then like do my side coaching notes so that I don't so that I keep you know vigilant in that way
1: yeah I, I I request a couch when I go out of town or a California king size bed. So I'm usually laying down through the whole class. But you know the thing, the thing that I, I, I you know get such a, you know, such a kick out of now with, with that whole thing of like, okay, people's wanting to talk or the, me, the teacher wanting to talk, is I keep in the back of my mind I was like, how can I turn this into a game? How can, instead of talking about it, we make up an exercise right in that moment to demonstrate what we're, what, what we're, we're trying to accomplish. And that's really helped me. And it's also made it exciting because it's like, okay, I'm continuing to improvise with my students.
0: When do you think you became confident enough to do that? Like, all right, we've been talking about this long enough. Let's just make something up on the fly and see what works.
1: Uh, I think it was probably the last three or four years. And another thing that I do, um, that I think is is really, it's been really helpful. Um, though, I, in terms of my insecurity, I go in and out of it. But if I'm if I'm lost, and and I know people are listening. Um, you know, teach. So this is a tip that is really worked for me. So I I hope they can use it. If I'm lost and, you know, especially if you're teaching a long workshop or it's a very intense class, you'll get to a, you may get to a point where like, I don't know where I'm going. So I may say, and I may say, you know, I, I I don't know where I'm going here. And I'm thinking of two things in my head, either we should do, I'm thinking either two person scenes or group scenes. And I will ask the class and they'll go, Oh, let's do group scenes or let's do two person scenes. And then I'll just follow what they said because there, there'll be times where I will just be blank. You know Um, b- the important thing is, cause I've learned through trial and error is not to say, Oh, I, I don't, you know, is not to, to not have um a, a, an option for them. Cause I've done it the other way where I, I don't, what do you guys want to do now? And that, that just, you, that, that, that is that does that usually doesn't work as well as you know. I'm thinking about two things right now. I'm lost. I don't know. What do you guys think? Or sometimes if it's an advanced class, I'll be like, I, I don't know. I mean, um, you know, you know, I'll get I'll get something from them in a discussion, then turn that into an exercise.
0: Um, how do you help the? How do you help your students facilitate like the conversations about like diversity on stage and in scenes? Because um, I feel like you, you have, um, it just seems to me that the the type, the way you approach it would be open to all of those conversations.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think I start out, um, in the beginning, just saying if stuff, if the beginning class if stuff, you, you feel triggered or something like that to, to, um, you know, to discuss it. And so, um, you know, we've had discussions about, is this okay to do? Is that okay to do? I think when it comes to diversity, it really helps when you, when you're, when you, when, because I'm an old white guy who's been around improv for a long time. So to have a diverse class, if you're going to talk about diversity, so you get, you get people who, you know, you know, have, uh, 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 have experience in it. Humor. If we can laugh, at the painful stuff. And I've, you know, you know, 80% of the improvisers, I'm making that statistic up, come from, you know, painful, dysfunctional, uh, you know, families. So there's a lot of pain there. And if we can laugh about this painful stuff, you know, that, that, you know, that's where like, you know, truth and comedy and honest comedy and all, and, and, you know, slow comedy and all that stuff starts to intersect. And, I think there is a huge, huge healing component of just getting to, to speak
0: it. Do you find at this point non-improv things are what helps you to keep your building, your skill set, if you will, in, as a teacher? Uh, because I'm a big proponent of we're never done learning.
1: It took you eight or nine years, 10 years to get there. Um, that those credits don't necessarily translate automatically when you go into the classroom. So just know that and have patience. The other thing that I found really helpful is, you know, fine, don't be afraid to ask for help, especially with other teachers. Um, When I worked at uh, second city, I, I, the, the best part of working there was hanging out in the teacher's lounge. And so, you know, four teachers would be in the teacher's lounge. And I'd be like, you know what? I am really tired today. I don't have anything to teach them in this second half. Do you have any suggestions? Uh, you know, this is, you know, a a while ago, or, you know, I would say, you know, I tried this exercise. It's not working or, you know, any of that, you know, that, or I would go up to Michael Gelman and I'd say, Michael, you know, um, you know, do you, you what game do you use for this? I remember asking, Michael Gelman gave me this great game called 1 through 50, which is basically you give somebody a scenario, uh, two people on the first date, and um, she just broke up with her boyfriend. And instead of giving them um, words, you give them numbers. So then we'd go 1, and then somebody would go 2, the next person would go 3, 4, 5, and you'd go consecutively 1 through 50. Well, Michael gave me that game, like, I don't know, uh, a couple years ago. And then I came up to him. You know, I said, hey, Michael. And he told me why it was for, you know, to get people to be in the moment. And then I saw him, like, two years later. And I said, Michael, that game's really worked. I want to thank you. And and then he said, well, it's really for blah, blah, blah. And um, then I'm going, oh, I must be doing this game wrong. But what I realized in that is, like, if you give me a game – I'm going to use it based 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 on my life experience, and and, and I'm going to use it in, in any way I want to use it. So I would just say to people like ask people for help, ask them for games. Know that you're not going to do these games. You know how the how you think there's going to be, and and give yourself permission to know that you're going to evolve and you're going to get better and better. Is the more you do it, just like improv. The more reps you do it, the better you're going to get.
0: Yeah can agree more. Uh, before I ask you for all your uh, website, I mean your your social media stuff, is there anything that I haven't talked about that we want you want to talk about? Um, no, I, I think you've I think you've I think you've covered it pretty well. Okay, thank you. That means a lot. Um, so yeah, where can people where can people find you online? Well, you can go to um
1: uh, and you can sign up for, you know, my newsletter, which each week I'll send you out the blog and then all 230 whatever episodes are there. So go and, and, and check that out and, and all my classes and workshops. And I'm going to do a shameless plug here, but, uh, if you, you know, if you want to come to Chicago this summer, I've got two, uh, artists, low comedy intensives happening. And, uh, we, I usually get, uh, people from all over the world, um, to come and take to t- take these and it's just so much it's just it's it's a blast to work with people from all over the world
0: and they can go online at JimmyCrane.com and find all that information they can go online look at summer intensives we sold out the
1: the first one in July is sold out and then there's one in later July I don't have the date in front of me and then there's one mm-hmm. in uh, later August and so you know it's it's a great way to come into Chicago and study with me and also If you're in town is to come and see shows, you know, there's some really, really great shows, uh, at, uh, at all the improv theaters in Chicago. So it's, it can be a really good learning experience.